Follow-up to a successful film can be difficult and quite frankly daunting for any director. Every now and then, there is a film that outdoes its predecessor. More often than not though, you'll see directors buckle under the pressure and churn out a film that is merely acceptable. And even more so than that, you'll see many miss the mark altogether. So imagine the pressure that would come with following up not one, but two fantastic, perfectly crafted entries into the history of film. That is unfortunately very much the story of a film that by all accounts should have been one of the most successful movies of all time, but turned out to be something else entirely, something that no one expected. With so many moving elements, including a first-time feature director, six years of not only rewrites, but discarded scripts, an abundance of studio interference, millions spent on sets that would never be used, and the pressure of a worldwide audience anxious to see what would happen next the movie we would receive was Alien 3. If you're anything like us, all you need is to simply hear that title, and you ask yourself, what the f happened to this movie? After the massive success of Aliens critically and commercially, writers, producers David Geiler and Walter Hill were confronted with a serious reality. They were going to have to follow this up. At first, it wasn't so bleak. There were initially early rumors of James Cameron returning to the franchise to continue the story of the family he had created with Ripley, Hicks, Newt, and Pieces of Bishop. Unfortunately, after about a year of these rumors, Cameron made it clear that he was moving on to other projects and was leaving the Alien franchise behind. This left the producers with a couple of dilemmas. No script, and no one to helm a script when it eventually comes into existence. So the search for a story began. There were so many stories, concepts, and mere ideas that flowed around the writer's room over the next few years. It's simply not possible to keep track of them all. And there are still to this day, probably many we'll never get to hear about. But there are quite a few that we do know of. So let's get into them. Before Alien 3 was released, scripted, or even conceptualized, Fox had the first teaser for the film shown. You may ask yourself how they could promise a plot when one hadn't even been put on paper yet. It's a fair question, so we'll give you a fair answer. False advertising. In 1979, we discovered in space, no one can hear you scream. In 1992, we will discover on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. Fans naturally assumed that this meant that aliens would finally make an appearance on our planet. And from a story perspective, this would have made sense. What's left to explore besides more of the same in space? And what a strong way to end a trilogy, bringing the threat home. But that's not what happened. This teaser served as a bad omen for how much the studio was interfering with the process. It was based on one of the earliest ideas for the third installment, which would see an alien swarm that invaded Earth. It is fun to imagine how that would have played out on screen. You can imagine massive numbers of xenomorphs crawling all over the interior of whatever ship they've stowed away on, slowly making their way to our planet. That idea didn't go in the direction you would have expected. Franchise fans would have expected something more akin to this. as opposed to this. We know it's ridiculous, but it sadly works. 
As the story progressed, the swarm would coalesce into a giant monster, a la Godzilla, with aliens crawling all over each other and moving together to mimic the motions and instincts of a xenomorph, and eventually, that giant monster would go on to destroy New York City. I know, this particular video doesn't help, but it's still not quite the swarm that fans would have hoped for. Even the monster itself is too comical to even visualize nowadays. So if there's anything to be thankful for in the sad tale, it's that this idea was passed over. So let's move on. In the later half of 1987, sci-fi writer William Gibson was approached by the producers to discuss a potential third and fourth film over dinner. He was informed that Ripley wasn't to be a character in the third version, simply because there was only so much that their character was capable of, but that she could re-enter in the fourth film. Disheartened by the handicap of no strong female lead, Gibson still had plenty of ideas to move ahead with. Although the plans for Alien 4 unclear, the plans laid out for 3 were described quite well. The Sulaco, Ripley's ship, was picked up by a remote station the size of a small moon called the UPP, which stood for the Union of Progressive Peoples. The UPP, who are locked in the Cold War with the Weyland yutani Corporation, board the ship and steal the remains of Bishop, then send the Sulaco on its way. Upon examining the remains, they're attacked by a facehugger hidden in Bishop's hypersleep chamber. Meanwhile, the Suiko is brought to Anchor Point, an outpost owned by Weyland yutani Hicks then awakens from its hypersleep to discoveries in the middle of a diplomatic crisis. Not only did the ship stop over in enemy territory, but the UPP have encountered the Xenomorph, and Weyland yutani fears its DNA could be used as a deadly bioweapon. Seeking out this DNA themselves, they begin to experiment with an alien egg that begins emitting an infectious gas, and an attempt to create their own bioweapon, an experiment that goes horribly, horribly wrong. Anchor Point is then overrun by xenomorphs. It is worth noting that to date, this idea is the one that remains very popular with fans. So much so that an audio drama of the script went viral in early 2019. However we may feel about it today, in the late 80s, the script proved to be too expensive for Fox to gamble on, and it was also passed over. A few story elements from the script would ultimately be used later in the franchise. The alien experiments were included in Alien Resurrection, while the infectious gas made its way into Prometheus decades later. In the earliest stages of Alien 3, Ridley Scott was being courted to return to the franchise after James Cameron expressed that he had no interest in coming back. Scott ultimately proved to be too busy, working on Black Rain and Thelma and Louise during this time period. But the concept floating around when he was in talks with Fox would have seen Ripley and Newt somehow ending up on a futuristic Metropolis-covered planet, one that resembles Blade Runner quite a bit, and would see them hunting what was described as a very mobile alien creature that had started wreaking havoc on the planet. If that sounds as fun to you as it does us, we can all be heartbroken together, as the idea was added to the ever-growing list of scrap stories. God, what a disaster this one could have been. Eric Redd, the screenwriter for cult classic The Hitcher, wrote a script when Rennie Harlan was attached to direct. In Redd's screenplay, the action was to be taken away from the metallic claustrophobic feel of the previous franchise entries and would instead take place on a space station that was strikingly similar to the American Midwest. We're talking wheat fields, gorgeous sunsets, windmills, and a drive-in movie theater. The concept, on the surface, was interesting, simply because it hadn't been attempted before. But upon digging into the details, producers began to wonder not if they could afford this version, but would they want to? Some story elements that we should mention? It would star a protagonist named Sam Smith, who would wake up on the station with amnesia. 
Not remembering that he was a soldier assigned to exploring a ship drifting in space called the Sulaco, Sam sneaks into a military base on the space station where he discovers horrific experiments being conducted. Namely, animal-alien hybrids, including dogs, cats, pigs, and chickens. Can you imagine? The story would go on to include Sam's mother butchering an alien hybrid with a chainsaw, a creature that the script calls the alien-human thing. The space station itself transforming into a giant xenomorph, and lastly, when all else fails, because it surely would have, a zero-gravity sex scene. The script was so awful, director Rennie Harlan left the project. Sigourney Weaver would go on to call it absolutely dreadful. It would go on to be almost entirely forgotten. Almost. Two years into the pre-production of Alien 3, producers found themselves back where they started. No story, no script, no director. They hired David Toohey of Critters 2 fame to rework the drafts they had received from William Gibson and try to create something alien-related. After six months, Toohey turned in a draft that actually begins to resemble what Alien 3 would later become. Toohey envisioned a space station orbiting Earth that would function as a correctional facility, with Ripley being absent at the studio's request and set all focus on the perspective of an incoming prisoner to the facility named Styles, as well as the other new inmates he arrives with. Styles eventually discovers that the prison is doubling as an experimentation facility, as years earlier a space miner had given them a facehugger he discovered that was trapped in amber. Seriously. He also discovered a hidden lab, where scientists now have the ability to create xenomorphs from scratch. What falls in the script is much of what you come to expect from an alien film. Close quarters fear, a growing number of aliens to deal with, and the fight to escape from said conditions alive. Tui had found a way to recreate suspense from the earlier alien films, while placing this film in a new setting entirely. In other words, he created exactly what was asked of him. Once the script was complete, Fox president Joe Roth demanded that Ripley be returned to the script, saying that he now wouldn't make the film without Weaver. Vincent Ward, director of The Navigator in 1988, was sought by producers after his film performed well at the Cannes Film Festival. Ward, an independent filmmaker hailing from New Zealand, didn't seem too interested in directing a film with such a large budget, let alone one from such a successful franchise that was considered a tentpole for one of the largest studios in Hollywood. To entice him, producers shared Tui's script with Ward, which subsequently made him less interested. Producers weren't exactly married to the script turned in by Tui, so they offered Ward the option of rewriting it, which he did. Picturing this one will take a bit of imagination. Ward wrote about a group of monks who lived in peace away from the evils of technology. The conditions of their lives were incredibly descriptive. The space station they lived on, that was covered in an outer layer of wood, included a massive library, monks blowing glass, and a group of religious inhabitants living in peace until Ripley crash lands on their planet. Her arrival is accompanied by the arrival of xenomorphs and their presence is regarded by the monks to be directly from hell, with the xenomorphs often being referenced as dragons, or Satan himself. Ward would also leave the production after Fox questioned the reasoning behind a wooden space station, with one executive calling it artsy-fartsy. With Ward's departure marking another low point of the film, producers did find themselves with a few story elements from the script they would end up keeping in the final draft of the film. Elements like a group of monks, who we later discover are prisoners, a space station without any weapon technology, and the fact that Ward envisioned a story where Ripley would end up being the sole survivor of the events from Aliens. Now you know who to blame for killing every character from the franchise that you ever loved. This fable of failed scripts would end with Larry Ferguson, and although he was credited with the screenplay, he never actually finished it. 
He would be fired right around the time that first-time director David Fincher was hired to helm the film, and the script was finished by producers themselves. Ferguson's script was said to be terrible. In a rare interview where David Fincher actually spoke about the film, he said that Ferguson's script shared some similarities with Disney films such as Snow White and Peter Pan. Ripley would be a woman who fell from the stars to live with monks. She would tell them stories at night, just like Wendy and Peter Pan. In the end, she would die, as would most of the monks, with only seven remaining. The monks would put her in a tube, some type of cryo chamber, and the film would end with all seven surrounding her as she seemingly slept, and they would wait for her Prince Charming to arrive. So, let's be a little thankful for what we got. Geiler and Hill would ultimately take the portions of these many ideas and compile them into a story themselves. As they worked on what would eventually, at some point, be the final script, David Fincher was hired to direct. Even though he is currently considered to be one of the most stylistic and prolific filmmakers of our time, churning out films such as Seven, Fight Club, The Social Network, and countless other classics, his name wasn't well known at the time of this production. Fincher had experience directing shorts and music videos. He directed some from Michael Jackson, Madonna, and Aerosmith before making the jump to feature films. Unfortunately, that jump started with the highly anticipated third chapter in the Alien franchise. What little we know about the story of Alien 3's production is a first-rate example of how a studio can insert themselves into a film and by most accounts, ruin it. Fincher would have to start production on Alien 3 with an incomplete script, a nightmare for any filmmaker, let alone a new one. It is said that when he would walk onto set, he would be greeted by more Fox executives and producers than actors for the film. Alien 3 had a pretty big cast. Production of the film would ultimately be shut down for over three months because of the script rewrites. Those rewrites would also cost $7 million to be spent on sets that would never get used. There were last minute reshoots added to the film, once the original ending was said to be way too similar to the ending of Terminator 2 Judgment Day, those reshoots would push the film $20 million over budget. The process of working with the producers and executives of the film was so disheartening to Fincher. In a rare interview after Alien 3 was released, one of only a few times Fincher has spoken of the film, he explained that there was a lesson to be learned in the process of making the film. That lesson being that you can't take on a sequel of this size when you don't have a project of equal or larger size behind you. James Cameron had Terminator behind him. If he comes in and says, sit down, shut up, do what I say, he's heard, and the studio knows they're lucky to have him. If Fincher, a music video director, comes in and says, listen to what I say because I believe in this movie, the response will not be as warm. While he didn't have the support of Fox studio executives, he did have the undying support of his cast and crew. The little that Fincher has said about the experience has reflected that. In an interview from 1992, he was quoted as saying, Looking at it in the role of communicator, obviously in a lot of cases I didn't get my ideas across. I'm taking that rap, but I'm so happy with the monsters and the special effects and the look of the film and the performances and what people were able to do with whatever minimal prep they had. I'm very happy with that, so I don't want to seem ungrateful. I'm not embarrassed by the film. Not embarrassed, sure, but he certainly doesn't look back fondly on the experience. After wrapping production, Fincher simply left before editing began. Oh, and by the way, it spent over a year in editing. Now at some point, you'll hear about an assembly cut that was made for the Quadrilogy box set. You'll hear that the assembly cut is his true vision for the film. And while it may be a better version, Fincher doesn't claim the cut is his. He won't even discuss it. He even refused to record DVD commentary or to appear in any special features for the box set. And it wasn't just Fincher who was upset. This film seemed to anger anyone who came into contact with it. Michael Bean expressed that he was very hurt by the film killing his character off-screen between movies and would introduce his character as dead at the start of Alien 3. 
He was so hurt by this decision that he refused to let the studio use a dummy of a corpse in his likeness. Ultimately, he would allow the studio to use his picture to establish that his character was deceased, but he even held out on that decision. It is said that he received more money for the use of his photo in Alien 3 than he did for the entire production of Aliens. Novelist Alan Dean Foster, who wrote the novels for the first two films, objected to the storyline being used, more specifically, the deaths of Hicks and Newt. His initial draft actually had the character of Newt survive the crash, but Fox rejected this version. They forced Foster to keep his novel consistent with the film, which led to his refusal to ever write a novel for an alien film again. Even though he would eventually return, it wouldn't be until 2017 for a novelization of Alien Covenant. In some ways, maybe we should be happy for what we received. Alien 3, when we look at the scrap possibilities, could have been infinitely worse than what fans received. On its own, Alien 3 isn't that bad. It's dark, moody, nihilistic, and its cinematography conveys that very well. But it's simply impossible to view this movie without comparing it to its predecessors, especially when you consider that fans of the franchise were rewarded for their loyalty by seeing their favorite characters die, and hearing that their favorite supporting characters died off-screen. In fact, Neil Blomkamp was once attached to making a new Alien film that would ignore the events of 3 and Resurrection entirely, and it generated tremendous interest, only being scrapped when Ridley Scott returned to the franchise for Alien Covenant. Released in 1992, Alien 3 debuted in second at the box office, behind Lethal Weapon 3. With a budget of $50 million, it would go on to gross only $55.4 million at the domestic box office, though its international take brought in an additional $104 million. Even with the negative audience reaction and the negative reviews from critics, it wouldn't mean the end of Fincher's career. Many praised him after the fact for staying on the project when he easily could have left upon realizing a script wasn't finished. Fincher understood the responsibility he'd taken on, and he saw it through, or at least as long as he could bear to. Roger Ebert perhaps said it best when he called Alien 3 the best-looking bad film he's ever seen. Combining studio interference with a promising visionary director and a dedicated cast and crew with the disposition of having a script written as the film is in production, Alien 3 has gone down history as a flat-out bad bookend to a terrific trilogy. If only we knew at the time. It could be much, much worse.